If you are comfortable standing, I invite you to stand as we begin our time of worship with a To God Be the Glory medley. Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the power and the glory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come to thee, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee, and we praise thy glorious name. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here Thank you. 
please. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity today to come and to be a part of this time of worship. The music, the songs, the voices lifted up already give you thanksgiving and praise and glory. And Father, it inspires and encourages each one of us. And so Father, we come for two reasons. One is to give you honor and praise and glory to worship you. The other is to hear from you, to continue to be equipped as disciples. Father, to hear the gospel, to apply it to our lives, to be equipped in the realm of how we can be Christian people, followers of Christ in this world. So, Father, I pray today we will be able to do both of those things and do it with enthusiasm, joy, and gladness of heart, especially as we reflect on the coming week, Thanksgiving, all the things we're grateful for. And, Father, you have provided the opportunities for all of them. And we acknowledge that and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I tell you what, you, your singing has inspired me. But I won't go longer with the sermon later on, okay? Just so you know. Um, we want to welcome you to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. Uh, if you have not filled out a guest card, this is the very first time that you've been here, please look in the pew in front of you. Take one out, fill it out, and when you leave today, just drop it in one of the offering boxes at one of our exits. We would appreciate that. And I just want to acknowledge um, uh, all that you did as a congregation uh, yesterday. Um, we were a part of a Thanksgiving food fund drive for uh, Va Valley View uh, Food Bank for this Thanksgiving season and this holiday season, and you just kept car after car coming and, and bringing turkeys and hams and all kinds of canned goods. I think. Pat said something like we had uh, 243 canned beans, green, green beans, is that right? That was an estimate, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was a great time, and there are going to be a lot of folks that will be helped. Uh, when the uh, Valley View uh, director, the CEO, came by with his truck and picked up all of that, he was just uh, amazed and encouraged. And I want to thank all the folks that came and helped as well. Uh, those extra hands came in very handy through the course of the of the day for certain. So, um, oh, here you go. Yeah, you got a couple of 
couple of pictures up here tell you what's going on. So we thank you for that. Now, this morning, we focus our attention on, uh, on Thanksgiving. Not just the day, because obviously we're to be thankful all year long, but this is a highlight. And so as we uh, go through each segment of our service today, savor and engage in an understanding of true gratitude, thanking God for what he has done. As the songs are sung, actually pay attention to the words, sing them as your prayer and your celebration. As you see specials, as you hear the word and the prayers, as the message is being delivered, just let God speak to you and thank him that we have the opportunity right here to be able to participate in something that is very spiritual, something that is eternal, and we have that blessing. I think we're going to continue to sing about Thanksgiving. Thank you. 
Good morning, everybody. That song, that song. Jesus is more than wonderful. He's everything, everything we need. Would you kindly join with me in prayer, please? Father God, what a blessing it is that we can gather here united in one spirit, the Holy Spirit. You are the light of the world, and we have a deposit of that light in each one of us. We're talking about Christmas now. We all have that light. This, this place is in the spiritual world is lit up. All over, there's lights all over. In each seat, there's a light. Father, we come this morning for your blessings, and there are many blessings. You bless us all Christians, all of us, that have accepted Christ as their Savior. We can be a channel of those same blessings to people who don't have them. God blesses get into people's lives through each one of us. May we be the kind of people who pray, God, you've blessed me. You've given me your message of hope and truth. Father, show us what to do with it so that others may learn about you and praise your name. For it's in Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Let's sing.
share these verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such, by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him is endured the cross, scourged his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We are lifted up by the reading of these, for these are the words of the Lord.
thankful for our choir. And Miss Nancy, thank you so much. In the late 90s, uh, while I was in the Seattle region, I attended two large Promise Keepers events. How many of you guys have ever been to a Promise Keeper Stadium event? Yeah, there's a few of you out there. Yeah. I'd never experienced that until I went up to the Pacific Northwest First one I went to, there were 21,000 men all gathered together. And the second one, there were 25,000. And I tell you what, it was an experience that I will never forget. It has stayed with me and it has spoke to me in such a powerful way because of two things. One, as I see all these men gathered in one place and they're all worshiping God in unity. So the unity was there, and then I would see these men, some of the roughest guys you would say, and some of the straightest guys you'd ever see, standing side by side in these coliseums, these stadiums, and they're singing, not necessarily in tune but with everything they have, with tears flowing down their cheeks. Every time, those two day events, it just inspired me. And I believe, as they were challenged to live, to be men who live the promises, men who chose, were encouraged and challenged to live the Christian life the way that it should. 
I think that in some sense, the challenge that they were given and the commitments that were made, that it changed their lives. And it happened in this arena of faith. I know my life has changed and the guys that I took from my church, they were changed. And it made such a difference in our local church as we move forward to try to accomplish the things that God desired for us to. So I think that it has some semblance to what we read in Hebrews chapter 12, this cloud of witnesses, this stadium, this arena of witnesses. These men were challenged to run the race as Christian men. And I think the writer of Hebrews is telling each one of us we need to run the race. And we need to make sure that as we run the race, that we run it purposefully to get the prize. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. It was very focused. More than any other symbol, the New Testament compares the Christian life to the races and to the games of that era. And all of them were in the arena where the crowds would cheer. And so Paul focuses upon this. He says, listen, make sure that you, you take care that you do not run the race in vain. And what does that mean? That means wrong, run the wrong race. <laughs> Don't be disqualified. Give it everything you have. He said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 2 to the churches of Galatia, he said, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. In other words, that I knew that what I was giving my life to purposefully was exactly what it ought to be and that I hadn't taken a side trip somewhere. He asked the same question or told the same thing at the church at Philippi in Philippians 2.16. He says, as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. What he was pouring his life into other believers, discipling and equipping them and starting these new churches on his missionary journeys. He said, I, I want to make sure that, that what you get from the word of life, from God's word, the spirit living inside of you, that, that it causes you to run that race. So don't be disqualified. I, I want to make sure that my investments are where they should be. And at the end, at the end, we should be able to say that we fought the good fight and we finished the race. How do we do that? Well, Paul writes to this young pastor by the name of Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, he said this, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. He said, don't chase after all of these other things. All these new things that come out. He said, if, if you want to run the race and finish strong, 
and your race is not in vain, he said that this is what you do. Have nothing, nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales, but train yourself to be godly. It is an intentional movement on your part to grow in your intimacy with God. So let's get into this passage. The author of Hebrews, he reminds us that we are running a race in a spiritual stadium or arena surrounded by former runners who now witness of the reality and the triumph of faith because they have finished that course and they're cheering us on. He talks about this cloud of witnesses in this arena. The two things this morning I want to take from this passage. Number one, he says, run the race. Don't be on the sideline. Don't be iffy. Don't be on the border. In Hebrews 12, the first part of verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, there are people who have gone before us, he says in this beautiful symbolism, they're cheering us on. They've laid out the track. They've given us an understanding of exactly what needs to happen, and we need to make sure that we run the race in light of the encouragement. He goes on to say in verse 1, the last part, he says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He has already marked out the race for each one of us. Every single one of us, he's laid that out for us. And he says, run it with perseverance. Give it everything that you have. Don't, don't go just a while and say, well, I think that's good enough. I've checked off the box. He says, run it with perseverance, with everything that you have, that which he has marked out before us. That encouragement, I believe, is twofold. Number one, we see these former participants of the same race, and they are packed in the stadium, the cloud of witnesses. They're the Hebrews, uh, the, the, the heroes of chapter 11 in Hebrews. You go to chapter 11, you read through those heroes of the faith. Those are the ones he's talking about, plus so many more. They are in the arena cheering us on. They are the witnesses in the sense that they speak to us of God's faithfulness in the ways. In other words, God never let them down, no matter how difficult it got. They made it to the end, and they were triumphant. And he says, I want to make sure that you understand that you can be triumphant, that God's faithfulness will always be with you, no matter what obstacles you have. We also see that they ran and won. Our race is being run in a stadium that are, is full of victorious athletes of the faith. They have accomplished it. And they're cheering us on, and they're encouraging us, and they are striving to inspire us. And so we need to run the race with that encouragement, with those that are cheering on. I tell you what, my dad was not a big uh, sports fan earlier in my life, and I started playing baseball, Little League Baseball, and I was impressed that he actually would go out there, and he would go to the, the little games, and he'd cheer us on. And it just made my heart full because he was cheering. I knew I had somebody there. And that always spoke to me. So every single event that my daughters went in, whether it was soccer, which they didn't play much or well, or track, 
I would go to every single track meet. I wanted to make sure that there was somebody cheering them on, somebody encouraging them, whether they did well or whether they didn't do well. I wanted to make sure they were there because I knew what it felt like. These clouds of witnesses, these victorious athletes of the faith, they are the ones cheering us on. They are encouraging us. And that is something that is special. But listen, not only were they former participants, but they are present spectators. Not only did they run the race and were triumphant, but now they are observing and they're cheering and they're doing everything they can to inspire us with the faith that they had. And so we are cheered onward by the fact of their observation. Somebody's watching out for us. People that have gone before us, that have laid a foundation. You have some of those people in your life. There are some people in your life spiritually that they sacrificed to invest into you. Maybe parents, maybe a Sunday school teacher, maybe a pastor, who, who knows? But you have somebody that's cheering you on because they were faithful in their life. And so today they cheer them on. And I can promise you the numbers have increased greatly for this cloud of witnesses since the writer wrote chapter 11. And so it's even more and more of that encouragement. And so we ought to take courage through both the biblical and historical Christians who witness through their lives and their faithfulness with the, the thought that they are present and observing and encouraging. And I think about those heroes. They're, the Bible is full of those heroes. History is full of those heroes. I think about Deacon Stephen. He was firm in communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ to Jews who would have nothing to do with it. In fact, to the point where they stoned him to death. He was the very first Christian martyr. That's inspiring to say, listen, he gave it all because of how firm he understood it. He's there. He's part of that cloud of witnesses cheering us on. I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer the great German pastor, theologian, martyr, and spy, who was asked in 1943 how it was possible for the church in Germany to sit back and let Hitler seize absolute power. And here's his firm answer. This is right before he was captured and sent to prison, or prison camp. His firm answer was this. It was the teaching of cheap grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, he said. It is baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. He said the church had become lax, liberal. They just let it go. And that absolute power took over. And we know the atrocities that came after that. In fact, in his own life, like I said, he was sent to a prison camp. And on April 9th, 1945, he was hanged. A Christian martyr. It is reported that his final sermon was these words, were these words. This is for me the end. 
the beginning of life. Contemplate that. Heroes of the faith who stood firm. Throughout the scriptures, throughout history, people that have said, we're going to give it all. We live with purpose. They're the ones that are cheering us on, saying, you can do it no matter what the obstacle is, no matter what spiritual battle you're facing or, or what weakness you might have, you can do it. That's what he's saying. We must remember those who came before us and allowed their sacrifices and their faithful commitment to encourage us. And just remember this, that we also need to live a life so that we encourage those coming behind us as well. He wants us to run the race without impediment as well. We are to act with decisiveness, laying aside anything that hinders us in the race. In verse 1, he said, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The original word um, had a couple of different meanings. The first was the bulking of the body. The runner would abstain from a variety of things to keep his slender body so that he could run the race quickly. Usually this word refers though to a burdensome load. He said we must free ourselves from anything and everything, even things that are innocent that would hinder us in the race. And there are a lot of things out there that, that actually are very innocent, but they distract us from being very focused on the path that God desires us to be on. It could be any relationship. It could be any possession. It could be a habit that slows us or at least just detracts us from being all in, living a purposeful life for the Lord Jesus Christ. The strong word, throw, us, uh, throw it off, speaks of stripping one down from anything that would impede the feet. Now obviously, the perfect example probably is uh, if you're ever arrested and they shackle your feet, <laughs> you're not going to run far, are you? But that's not very practical for us because uh, hopefully none of us are going to get arrested. So what came to mind was a three-legged race. How many of you ever done a three-legged race? Oh, come on. Let me see your hands. Yeah. How did you do? Most of us didn't do so well. You have this... Usually, somebody you don't even know that you're being tied to, so you got, you got the legs tied to somebody else, and you're trying to run, and you're out of step, and all of a sudden you're falling. I looked at some videos online uh, about three-legged races, and they're hilarious. I mean, you know, if you have that kind of thought. He <laughs> <laughs> says, listen, throw those things off. Get rid of those things so that you can run the race with everything that you have. Don't let anything hinder he says, make sure and get it off. In fact, the word shows an immediacy, an urgency, a radical call to be done with any impediment. Don't let anything impede you from doing what God wants you to do, what he's called you to do, the race that he's marked out for you and to be faithful in it. So if it's true of things in and of themselves or innocent that distracts you from being all involved in what God wants you to do, how much more certainly true is it of known sin? That we choose directly to say, no, I'm, I'm just going to do this even though God doesn't want me to. 
And such sin, the scripture says, easily entangles us. The author is realistic about us and our sin because we are susceptible to sin. Just, sin is just one decision away. It's not the temptation to sin, it is following through with that sin. It's an intentional thing on our part. We don't just kind of slip into sin. We make that choice. And he says, listen, the word has an idea or suggests a fatal easiness to which sin stands around us, encircles us, and closes in on us. We live in a world of sin. It is all around us. And we may allow things to enter our study or what we watch or what we hear, what we look at on, uh, on the computer. And it begins to be innocent, but all of a sudden some of these things begin to creep in and then the temptation comes and then we choose. Well, just this one time. And all of a sudden it has that choke hold on us. There are sins which we are inclined to commit because of our temperament, because of our weakness, or because of the environment that we're in. And we have to be observant, watchful. We have to let God's Spirit move in us so much that our hunger and desire is to be purposefully involved in the path and the race that he's marked out for us. And we have all of this cloud of, of faithful, triumphant people that weren't perfect, but they finished faithful and they're cheering us on. And we need to do all that we can to say, okay, I have these opportunities to sin, but I also have and am encircled by these witnesses that encourage me. And so the question that comes to us is, which will you choose to embrace? The opportunity to sin and be distracted from what God wants you to do or to be focused completely on those witnesses that encourage you to be faithful to the end. The second thing that he tells us is to fix your eyes. And I think this is the supreme motive and highest encouragement. Above the cloud of human witnesses is the Almighty God. He's the king. He's the one for which we live our lives to accomplish his desire. Far more than any other contestant has he faced the battle that we are now in. He endured suffering beyond all others and he received the glorious joy beyond the battle. And so the writer's saying, fix your eyes, fix your eyes on him, on Jesus. In verse 2, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And it's interesting, he uses the term Jesus. Jesus is the, uh, uh, is the human name of Christ. It emphasizes our Lord in his humanity. And that's important. We're to pay special attention to what he suffered in his human nature. 
And that means that we must continually look away from the distractions if we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus as he lived his life here and what he sacrificed and suffered while he was here. So we need to have, in essence, tunnel vision to fix our eyes on Jesus no matter what. The very word suggests looking away from some things in order to look toward one thing. And for us, that one thing is Jesus. We're to see the Lord Jesus Christ as our great example and the great giver of faith. That's where our strength is going to come from. The cloud of witnesses do an incredible job, but if we're going to finish triumphantly, it's going to be because of Jesus. How he lived his example of faith in his own divine humanity. You see, if you go through and study the life of Jesus, what you find is that he lived by the unseen, looking to the future. He both began and ended his life as the great example of faith. And so we're to fix our eyes upon him. And then the writer tells us that he is the giver of our faith. So if he is the great example that we're to follow, and now he's the giver of faith, which means he's the originator of our faith, and he will be the completer of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, the middle part says, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The pioneer, the originator, the perfecter, he'll bring it to completion. He is the one we fix our eyes on. He's the one that's going to get us across the finish line. Paul said in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He is the one who's going to, to get you across. And so you have to fix your eyes upon him. Be encouraged by the cloud of witnesses. Listen to Jesus and let him empower you and fill you to accomplish and finish and complete what he has begun and started in you from the beginning. The truth of faith, of every person of faith, is a biblical record. Moses wrote about Christ. Jesus said in John 5, 46, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. Abraham saw Christ's day. Jesus said in John 8, 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And so we have these biblical figures that had the faith looking forward to the Christ to come. Writing about him looking toward him and being joyful and glad and looking forward to it. These are the people that are encouraging us and focusing upon Christ. They fix their eyes on Christ, the Messiah, the Deliverer, for when he comes. We need to fix our eyes on Christ who has saved us, transformed us completely. He is the example and the giver of our faith. And also we find that he enables us to look beyond the present to the future. Sometimes it's hard to go through and rise above 
the troubles in life and the storms in life. But Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3 says this, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And sometimes in life, with everything that's thrown at us, sometimes we just want to lose heart or we grow weary. There's a secret part of us inside that says, gosh, I just want to put the, the white flag down. Because I'm just tired of those days that just everything, all of Satan's arrows are being thrown at me. But listen, Jesus enabled us to look beyond the present discouragement and look to the future encouragement of a life of faith. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Paul wrote, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. And our Lord Jesus Christ enabled he was enabled to endure the shame of dying the death of a criminal. And even his executioners believed that he was accursed of God. But he was able to do that because of the joy that followed the conflict. He could see what will be accomplished on the other side of his pain and suffering. And that should encourage us that we can persevere through the pain and the suffering of living for Christ with everything that we have on this side, knowing the joy of the future. He was willing to face the pain and reap the joy. <coughs> Verse 2, the latter part says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And I think that that's something that we must consider. That when Jesus Christ came into our lives by our personal invitation to come, and he took our sin away, and he gave us life everlasting, that was the beginning. The question is, all of this until our time of death or until he comes back, will we live triumphantly in the life of faith? And in this season of our life, we need to, to be faithful and strong to the end. We should say with the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.18, 8, uh, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so, my questions. Number one, do you know for certain that you will experience that joy and glory when your life is ended? Do you have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ? That is first and foremost. You need that confirmation. And you can have it. And you can have it today. During our invitation, it would be a time for you to say, I want that glory and joy. I want to finish strong and triumphant. Today I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. My second question is are you allowing the cloud of witnesses and even above the cloud of witnesses the Lord Jesus Christ to encourage you to be a and live a life of a true believer rather than the comfort of cheap grace 
that your spiritual life is just one part of your life and you have every, all these other compartments over here, but that rather your Christian life is complete. It is focused on a purposeful, completing faithfully the race marked out before us. Father, as we move to our invitation, I just ask you, as you've spoken to us today from your word, that you would give us understanding of what you desire us to do. Simple decisions, but eternal ones, of accepting Christ or rededicating our life, desiring to, to truly live out the race that you've marked for us, rather than be distracted even by innocent things. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to commit to do that right now. And for others who say, yes, I, I want to be a part of this church and accomplish God's desire through this body. Lord, during this invitation, we invite them to come. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand, please? I give all my service to you. I give all my service to you. No matter the cost or what others do, I give all my service to you. I give all my family to you. I give all my family to you. No matter the cost or what others do, I give all my family to you. I give all my future to you. I give all my future to you. No matter the cost or what others do, I give all my future to Go ahead and be seated if you would. And I want to, um, to let you know about your ballots, if you would. Today's the day in uh, November that we uh, vote on our deacon candidates. We have two uh, today. Uh, Paul Barnes. Paul, would you stand up back there? Nice looking shirt, by the way. <laughs> All right. Paul, how long have you been a deacon? How long have you been a deacon? Longer than I can remember. <laughs> That's a long time. <laughs> Paul has been a deacon uh, for years and years and years. And uh, um, our deacons have three-year rotations. They rotate a, a year. Uh, after three years, they rotate uh, off for a year. And so Paul has agreed to come back on if the church uh, votes to do that. Uh, the second one is Phil Lord. Now, Phil, uh, he's never been a deacon before, and he's gone through the process. He met with the ordaining council uh, uh, earlier this month, 
and uh, the council is recommending the church uh, move forward in uh, in his uh, ordinate uh, in his being a deacon and then the ordination service in January. Uh, but we wanted you uh, we, you've heard from Paul before uh, through the years, but we wanted you to hear a short three-minute testimony from uh, from Phil so that you get to know him a little bit. So Phil, if you would, I appreciate it. Well, once again, I've been asked to come before you and give my testimony. You know, in thinking about that, I realize that as Christians, our testimonies are like a never-ending story. Don't worry, this isn't a never-ending testimony, Pastor already said. I only got three minutes, so i got to make this quick. But, you know, when you become involved in a church, it's amazing all the different ways God can use to speak to you. Through, this, through Bob Marty's Sunday school class that I attend, through the insights I get from Bob and the other people in the class, through a prayer that Dick Schrader prayed one Sunday morning that touched me in a special way, and uh, through, a Sunday, through a Bible study, uh, experiencing God that, that really got hold of me. Uh, in that Bible study, the author Henry Blackaby related a story about how a group of churches prayerfully determined that, and this was during a time when they were having the World's Fair in Canada, uh, they prayerfully determined to reach out to two million people. And through that effort, they, were man they managed to reach uh, 20,000 people came to know the Lord as their personal savior. And you know, that's just, and how, how, they, how did they do that? They did that by people who were committed to serving the Lord. And you know, that really got hold of me. And that's when, you know, I prayed a prayer, probably a prayer that you prayed yourself. Dear Lord, please use me in a more meaningful way. Well, I have to tell you, about a week, week and a half later tops, I was contacted about this deacon thing. And, uh, you know, I, and it was, to me, I knew it instantly, it was answered prayer. And for me, answered prayer usually comes as a thrill and a surprise. The thrill that God heard and answered my prayer. The surprise that God can use even me. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. So if you would do me a favor, um, I need you to, uh, to, if you're a member of this church, to vote. Uh, you can either vote yes or no. Just circle one of those. And then if you will move them to the center section, our uh, ushers will be picking those up. So if you'll go ahead and mark those and then send them to the center section. And our ushers will be right there. And I should uh, introduce uh, Mary Beth. You'll stand for just a second. This is Phil's wife right here. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul, we remember Barbara so many years. She was by your side in deacon ministry as well as uh, your vocational ministry. And we do remember and appreciate and love her. Yeah. All right. Our deacons are making their way. And as they are, um, Ms. Nancy. I refer you to the back of your bulletin. There are a number of things that I hope you will take advantage of. Some require you to sign up for them and you'll see those sign-up sheets in the lobbies. Tomorrow at nine o'clock, if you would like to assist in decorating our building for Christmas, those who are going to be leading out in that would welcome your help. 
That's nine o'clock tomorrow. The beautiful flowers on the altar table today are provided by Chris and Carol Yoder. Chris and Carol are some of our missionaries who go to Michigan during the summer. They will not be coming back here until January, but this coming Thursday, the 23rd, they will be celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. So they wanted to provide altar flowers for us today. And we're going to send a picture at their request of the flowers. But many of you have met and appreciate Chris and Carol Yoder in celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. Ron, why don't you come on up, sir? I tell you what, here's a faithful man. This is Ron Bird. And uh, Ron is attached to Nelda. <laughs> Nelda, why don't you come down if you would for a moment and stand by, by uh, your husband if you would. Okay. Um, Ron is coming to, uh, to uh, join the church. Uh, he has uh, obviously um, accepted Christ. He's been baptized, immersed, and uh, he, uh, he's been wanting to do this for a while, but his health is not the greatest, as you can, as you can tell. <laughs> um, he's, been, he's had some uh, pneumonia recently and all, but I tell you what, he, today, he said, today I'm coming. It's my birthday, so I'm going to come. <laughs> so all in favor of accepting Ron, if you'd show that by the sign aye. Aye. If you're against that, the sign no. Okay, Ron. We're excited to have you. And in just a few moments, uh, after our closing prayer, um, the folks are going to come around and give you the right hand of Christian fellowship, saying two things. Number one, welcome to your family here. And number two... Uh, we're going to be working with you and uh, praying with you in these days ahead to accomplish what God desires. Does that sound good? Okay. Now, why don't you go on the other side up there, if you would? All right. Would you stand as we have our closing prayer? Sandy Boss is going to be leading. Join me in prayer as we close this morning's uh, awesome service as usual. Thank you, Pastor. Heavenly Father, we gather together in prayer to say thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who paid the price for our sins. We thank you for your plan of salvation so all mankind may dwell with you for eternity. God, we thank you for this morning's time of praise, worship, and edification. We ask you now for a blessed week as we celebrate Thanksgiving. Again, Lord, we are so grateful for all your blessings and for what you do for us. We ask for you to let us be a light in our community as we share the gospel by our lives. Give us opportunities to witness for you as we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. And all people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.